like Sophie said, we are in a series um, on really on prayer. We're taking a look at the Lord's Prayer, and the series is called Be Heard. And today we're going to take a look at the third phrase, okay? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, you have more than likely heard that we as a nation are $20 trillion in debt. Have you heard that? I want to give you a little perspective on that, okay? What is one trillion? It is a one with 12 zeros behind it. Let's just say that you are a businessman and you started a business on the day that Jesus was born, 2017 years ago. And every day since the, Christ, the birth of Christ until today, you have lost $1 million per day for 2,017 years. At this point in time, you still would not have lost a trillion dollars. It would take you an additional 700 years to have lost $1 trillion. Now, folks, when I hear that, I oftentimes think, who in the world is going to pay for it? Look around. It's you and I and our kids and our grandkids and probably our great-grandkids. When I begin to hear the government saying, well, we're just going to have this bailout thing, it really concerns me, right? I looked up the definition of a bailout. Let me read you the definition. This is what it means. Throwing water out of the side of a boat that is sinking. Jumping out of an airplane that is crashing. Do you see a trend here, okay? Uh, Selling all your stocks in a company that's failing. Uh, Leaving early from a class that you think is a stupid class. Uh, Paying for the freedom of someone who should be put in jail. And this is the one I like the most. Rescuing someone from the consequences of their stupidity. Folks, is it any wonder that people are worried sick about the economy and their futures? I say this, that if you aren't a Christian, you better be worried. But if you are, guess what? God has given you and I an antidote for worry. We've been taking a look at the Lord's Prayer. And in it, there are seven different phrases Each one of those phrases reflects a characteristic of God and a need, a practical need that is met in our life. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the first phrase, our Father, which meets the need of of person, of the relational need that we have. Then we took a look at the second phrase, thy will be done. That meets the need of security in our life because lots of things are beyond our control, but they are not beyond the control of God. These truly go together. Today, we're gonna take a look at the third phase, okay? Give us this day our daily bread, which meets the need of stability in our life. Now, bread obviously is a staple food, okay? You can find it in every culture and it is easy to make. You take some flour, some water, I don't know, add some water and some salt into it, mix it up, throw it in the oven, and whammo, you have bread. And yet when Jesus uses this phrase, he, 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 there is more to it than just our physical necessities. In fact, bread in the Bible represents four different 
things. Will you write these down? The first one is this. It does represent the necessities of life, okay? We need nourishment. We need air. We need water. We, we need sunshine to live. These are physical necessities that we need in order to live. What you might not know and understand is that God has never made anything without providing for it. Even the little fishies in the sea. When I watch those National Geographics and I see these little, I don't know, type of fish there, and then all of a sudden these big whales show up and go, how do they know that? Okay? God has hardwired them there. You need to read Psalms 104. I've got it on your outlines for you. Basically, it says that the oceans teem with life of every, of every kind, both great and small. In other words, whales and little minnows. Every one of them depends on you to give them daily food. You supply it and they gather it. Folks, this is the economy of God. God comes along and he says, guess what? I made it and I'll supply it, but you have to gather it. When you and I say this phrase, give us this day our daily bread, it doesn't mean that you and I can set on our blessed assurances. No, God supplies, you and I gather. The second thing that this represents is God's word. You see, the Bible is spiritual food. Jesus made this statement, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus made that statement, he is quoting Deuteronomy, referring to the time when God supernaturally fed the Hebrews as they were moving towards the promised land with, with manna from heaven. Literally, manna in the Hebrew means, what is it? So they were eating, what is it? Okay, three times a day. Hey, what are we having for breakfast? What is it? Omelets. Okay, what are we having for lunch? What is it? Turkey sandwiches. Uh, what, what are we having for dinner? What is it? Manicotti. Okay, I mean, it was what is it type of a thing, okay? And so when Jesus makes this statement, he is saying that not only do we need physical food for our bodies, but we need spiritual food. We need truth for our souls. The third thing that it represents is, is our relationships, God's family, fellowship. You just don't need physical food and spiritual food for the needs that we have in those areas. Folks, we have relational needs as well. Bread is a metaphor for those relational needs, for the church, for fellowship. And it is true that God said, man shall not live by bread alone, but God also said, it is not good for man to be alone. God God wants you and I to have a physical family. So relational needs that, and he wants us to have a spiritual family where those needs are met as well forever so that we can have fellowship. When we take communion as a spiritual family, which we did a few weeks ago, when we take communion as a spiritual family, oftentimes it's referred to as breaking bread. In other words, we're breaking bread and having fellowship together. That's what happened in the early church. In fact, in Acts 2, it says that the New Testament believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. It, it, it meets our relational need. And then the fourth thing that it represents is our salvation. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, we see this out of 1 Corinthians 11, took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
He, he set that up as a symbol. He's saying the bread is my body and the wine or the juice is my blood. And I'm giving you this bread and this juice, this wine, as a symbol that I came and I gave the ultimate. I just didn't stay in heaven and preach to you. No, I came and entered into human history. And then I gave my life's blood for your salvation. And I want you to remember that. I don't want you to ever forget what I did on the cross in paying for your salvation. Now, this is what Jesus is saying in those few short words. Give us this day our daily bread. So here's the point. Whatever your needs may be, and in these last, I don't know, three weeks or so, I have had a blast just praying over our church family. Remember those little three-by-five cards? I'm praying over them. And there's a lot of needs And Jesus is saying here, whatever your need is, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, or relational, whether it's for body, mind, soul, or spirit, God says, I will take care of all your needs. Because if I've made it, I'm gonna provide for it. I'm gonna supply it. However, what you need to do is you need to depend on me. Today, we're going to take a look at how you and I depend on the Lord for whatever need we might have. You see, how do you and I do that? How do you let God meet all of your needs? Answer, as you depend on him through faith. You see, the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. The Bible says, according to your faith, it'll be done unto you. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Folks, we get all of our needs met as we depend on God, who is the supplier of all things, as we depend on God through faith. The big question is this. How do you and I depend on God? Like I said, when we started this series, I am wanting to take you deeper personally. I wanna take you wider with others and I wanna take you and I closer to our community. I wanna give you three things this morning of what it means to depend on God because it seems like it's just kind of surfacy, but there's so much that Jesus is driving at here. And the first thing is this. It means seeing God as my source. The source of what? Of everything. Everything that you see and everything that you can't see, guess what? It was made by God. He is the source of everything. Everything that you have comes from him. Now, there are four truths that are wrapped around this thought of depending on him, seeing him as our source. And the first one is this, that it's all a gift from God. Nothing you have, have you earned. You didn't earn the air. You didn't earn the water. You didn't learn, earn life itself. It's just a flat out gift, okay? It is a gift of God's grace to you. If God didn't give it, if God didn't want to give it, guess what? You wouldn't have it. Everything is a gift from God. That's why in the book of James, James says, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. When you take a look at that phrase that Jesus 
says, give us this day our daily bread. I want you to circle the word give. Why? Because it's a gift. He uses it purposefully. It is a gift that you can't earn. Secondly, he uses the word give. And will you write this down? Because he is the supplier of everything. He is the supplier of everything, okay? There's nothing that you need that God can't provide. Now, folks, I don't know what you are going to need next year. I really don't. As I'm going through the cards, I mean, there's some huge needs, what I would say right now, okay? But I don't know what you're gonna need next year. And to be honest with you, you don't even know what you need. But I can tell you this in advance, that whatever you need, God has the power to supply. Take a look at Philippians chapter four and verse 19. God will supply all that you ever need from his glorious resources in Christ. Will you circle glorious resources? That word literally means that God will lavish on you all that he can lavish upon you. It means literally that there's nothing that I need, that you need, that we need, that God will not give. Now let me let you under let me let you in on a little something here. With this verse, there is something between the lines that Paul is saying here, and it is simply this. Because God is the supplier of all our needs, you and I should never ever have a scarcity mentality. You see, a scarcity mentality means I don't think there's enough to go to go around. Have you ever seen that demonstrated before? I have. Go to the all these eat places. Have you ever gone to one of those? Hello. I mean, they bring out the new food and all of humanity fight knocking everyone over to get the oh, there may not be any more. I better get this like this. What Paul is saying there is, hey, you and I should not ever have a scarcity mentality. Folks, there's more than enough to go around. There is more than enough for all the need of the world to be met. Not for all the greed of the world to be met, but for all the need of the world to be met. The reason why some have needs isn't because there isn't enough to go around. This is because there isn't any sharing. Now let me stop here and just simply say this. Sharing should not be forced at all. Why? Because when it is, it's not done out of love. God wants us to voluntarily share because when we do that, it's driven out of love and he's always wanting to teach us to love. And so the Bible says that it's all a gift. The Bible says that there is nothing that God cannot provide. The third thing is that God wants you, God wants to give it. You and I need to know that. You need to know that no matter what need you have, physically, emotionally, spiritually, uh, relationally, body, soul, mind, and spirit, God wants to give it to you. This ties in with the very first fact, phrase, our Father who art in heaven. Take a look at Matthew chapter seven, verse 11. If you were asked by your son for bread, would you give him stone? How much more likely is it that your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask him. When my kids were growing up, they, they, 
they drank nine gallons of milk. I had three boys. Nine gallons of milk in one week, okay? What would you think if my kids came to you and said, hey, Dad, we're out of milk. We, 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 we need some more milk. We like milk. We like chocolate milk. I mean, go get us some more milk. What, what would you think if I just gave them a tuba for? I just know on this for a while. Okay, that'll satisfy you. No, I wouldn't do that, okay? Even though I am an imperfect father, and folks, I am an imperfect dad, I still would give my kids food if they asked for it. How much more will your heavenly father supply all that you need? Not just financially, but emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically, across the board. He is our perfect father. The fourth thing is this, that he's, he's waiting on me. If you have a need that's going unmet in your life, it's not God's fault. Folks, he's waiting on you. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. The, the, the problem isn't God. Folks, it's us. You and I, we don't ask. We don't persist in our asking. We have more winds that come in and out than persistent needs where we are constantly coming to God and say, God, you promised Come through. Over 20 times in the New Testament, the Bible says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Ask, seek, knock. What does the first letter of every one of those words spell? Ask. The Bible says, whatever you ask for in my name, I'll do it. The Bible says, ask that the Father may be glorified in the in the Son. God wants us to ask. Over and over and over again, God says, look to me as the source. Don't look to your credit card. Look to me. I'm the source that provides it all. And so I want to ask you a very blunt question this morning. Who's your source? That is a very important question to ask and to answer. When law enforcement wants to get drugs off the streets, they don't go to some drug pusher that's selling it for, I don't know, 10 bucks a little bag somewhere. No, you know what they do? They, they wanna go to the supplier. Hey, if we can get the supplier, it's gone. Knowing the supplier, knowing the source is very, very important. Let me ask you a question for your stability. Who's your source? Washington, D.C.? I hope not. Wall Street? It's blowing it all out of the roof. I hope not. Your job? I hope not. In the last recession, within a few months from 2008, 8.7 million jobs were lost like that. Who are you going to look to to meet your needs? Folks, if it's anybody other than God, you're gonna be severely disappointed. I've had a few couples come in. I'm getting ready to do some weddings. I've seen these kids kind of grow up. My dream, right? Oh, well, how did you meet? Oh, you know, and you hear all these nice stories and, and they kind of remind you of, you know, when you met your significant other. And, and oh, Pastor George, <laughs> They are the perfect person. They meet all my needs. And when I hear that, I'm going, 
I don't do that out loud, okay? But I'm thinking, oh, mercy alive. Would anyone like to share a story about this, okay? I'm sure there are plenty of them in here. If you're trusting in anybody other than God, you're gonna be severely disappointed. God wants you and I to look to him as the source of everything. Folks, that's what it means to depend on him. When Jesus is saying, give us this day our daily bread, that's what he's driving at. The second thing that it means to depend on God is trusting him for today. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Taking one day at a time. God says, I just want life to be simple for you. George, you're a simple guy, so let me just let make life simple for you. I want you to take your life in 24-hour increments. In fact, notice that it doesn't say, give us this day our weekly bread or our monthly bread or our yearly bread. No, it says, give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting as I was researching this subject matter, since the 1950s, <clears throat> bread is a synonym for money. You remember that for some of us? I mean, I can remember in the 50s, I grew up, you know, I was born in 53 and say, hey, you got any bread, man? That's cool. Hey, give me some dough, man. I'll take some dough, okay? So what Jesus is saying here is that you and I need to trust him even for our, da- uh, daily, for our daily finances. He comes on and says, I don't want you to worry about next week, next month, next year. In fact, I don't want you to worry about anything. How do you and I do that? How do you and I trust God just for a day? Well, there are four things that you do to trust God for a day, and they're all in one portion of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4, 6, and verse 8. Notice what Paul says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, thanking him for all he has done. And fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. In this passage are four things of really what it means to trust God on a daily basis. The first one is this, worry about nothing. He says, I don't want you to worry about a thing. Now, folks, I happen to believe that is the hardest command in the Bible to be obedient to, okay? I don't have problems with other commands like don't murder, okay? Some of you do. Okay, you have teenagers, I can understand, okay? But right now, I don't. I'm an empty nester, so I don't have a problem with that one. I I don't have a problem with don't commit adultery. My wife, she's she's hot, okay? I love my wife. Valentine's Day's coming, okay? No problem. But this one right here, don't worry about anything. Folks, I bet you I break this one six to a dozen times a day. Now, you may be sitting here and say, well, George, what's the big deal? It's not that big of a deal. I mean, is it? I mean, why is it such a big deal? Well, folks, it isn't because it shouldn't be a habit in our life. It's because it's sin. Well, why is it sin, Pastor George? Because it's an insult to God. Folks, when I worry, in essence, I'm saying, God, I don't believe. And let's go back to the very first one. I don't believe that you are a good father. I don't believe that you care, that you're close, that you're consistent, and that you're capable. 
I don't believe that you're really in control to meet my physical, emotional, spiritual, and, and, and relational needs. My body, soul, mind, and spirit. I don't believe that. And that is an insult to God, and that's why it's a sin. If my kids came to me and says, Dad, we need some milk, okay, Dad, we really need some milk. And I said, hey, don't worry about it. I've got the resources. I'm gonna go to the store here pretty soon. But if they came back, and then says, Dad, we're still concerned. We just don't think you're going to buy the milk. Folks, that would be an insult to me. When you worry, you're acting like you don't have a good father. You're acting like you are a spiritual orphan. You're acting like an atheist. Now, every time God gives you and I a negative, don't do this, he gives us a positive. And this one falls into the vein of what we're talking about. He says, pray about all things. God gives you and I a choice. He says, you can either worry or you can pray. You can either panic or you can pray. You can either worship or worry or you can worship. You can either talk to yourself and stay up all night and just stew on it over your mind and see how far that gets you or you can talk to me about it. Now, why is this so important? It's because when you and I talk to ourselves about it over and over and turn it over in our mind in this angle and that angle and this angle here, that's called worry. And worry has never accomplished a thing. It is like being in a rocking chair. There's a lot of movement and energy expended, but no forward progress. Yeah, on the other hand, praying, changes things. It changes you. It will change you physically. Cheryl and I, we've gotten back off my thing, back on our Daniel plan, and we've committed it to prayer. God, we want this to be a lifestyle. I've lost 16 pounds. Go God. Prayer changes things. That's nothing. Well, thank you, but my ADD's kicking in right now, so I gotta pull it down. It changes you emotionally. Before we started this prayer campaign, Cheryl and I committed ourselves together to fast and pray. Some of the things that I read on your cards, my heart breaks and I see the urgency. And I think, you know what? Sometimes you need to add a little fuel to the fire by fasting. I want to encourage you, after this service, take 20 minutes. All it takes, go to our fasting class. Because there are some things that are more of a whim in our life than they really are a passion. And God uses fasting to help us to see our dependence upon him. To help him to see, not that he doesn't already know it, but us to see, God, I'm serious about this. And before we came into this campaign, I said, God, I want our church to be radically different. I want our church to be a model church in this community that meets needs in the church and outside the church, that we will be a praying church. And so God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast and I'm gonna pray. I pulled the staff together because I would never ask our church family to do what I don't do and what our church family or our staff isn't doing first. 
And I pulled them all in on Wednesday. Every Wednesday we pray together. And we lift up the church in different subjects, matters you've probably seen it on Facebook Live. But I pulled them in. I said, I want, I want you to list out all the resources that you need. And they just, like this. There was a couple of sheets of them. Resources. We need this. We need that. We need this. We need that. All this stuff. And then I said this. What we're going to do is we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Because here's what I want you to know. That Jesus Christ met the biggest need that you have. And that is your salvation, your forgiveness so that you can get into heaven. And if he paid for your sin so that you could get into heaven by dying on the cross, then everything else is small potatoes. Folks, if your name is written in the book of life, you have a good father. He is in control. And if he has created it and there's a need, guess what? He will provide for it because he has paid the ultimate price for you. This is what Paul expresses in Romans chapter eight, verse 32. Since God did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, won't he also surely give us everything else? Well, of course he will. The third thing is this, thank God in all things. And I want you to circle the word in, and we have talked about this before, so I don't want to spend a lot of time. We're not to give thanks for everything. There's a lot of things that we shouldn't give thanks for. Rape, famine, war, pestilence, you name it, across. There's a lot of evil. God doesn't want us to thank God for evil, but he does want us to be thankful in it. Why? Because our attitude will determine the atmosphere around us that will affect the accomplishments that we make that will build momentum either in the positive direction or the negative direction. We pray and we give thanks in all things. And then fourthly, we th- Paul says, think about the right things. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God in all things, and then think about the right things things. You see, whatever you put in your mind, guess what? It's going to get you. If you put in your mind worry, you will sing the song, down, doobie-doo, down, down, como, como, down, doobie-doo, down, down. It's going to bring you down, doobie-doo, down, down. But if you put in the good things, you will sing, fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. I sing that song all the time. Why? God, just fill me with positive thoughts. It affects your attitude, the atmosphere, the accomplishments. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, what's pure and lovely, what is excellent and worthy of praise. Folks, where do you and I find those things? You find those watching the news every night? I don't think so. Movie, TV? I don't think so. You find those things in God's word. That is why in this series, it is about going deep, reading God's word, praying over God's word, memorizing God's word, meditating on God's word, sharing God's word. As you go deep, guess what? It will give you a peace that passes all understanding. I got this verse when I was in a time of struggling. Should I come to Dallas or should I stay in Columbia, Missouri, which was 100 miles away from our folks? And we we just had our 
first couple of kids. And then I thought, hmm, moving further away from the in-laws. Yeah, that's the answer. Let's go, okay? No, just kidding. But God gave this verse to give me peace. Take a look at Isaiah 26, verse 3. He will keep in perfect peace. Will you circle that? All those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. How often do your thoughts turn to the Lord? Just on Sundays? What do, you, what do your thoughts turn to the most? Sex? Money? I don't know, People Magazine? What? God says, if you will just turn your thoughts towards me, I will give you a peace that will stabilize your life in changing times. There is a third key of depending on God. And it is this, I share what he supplies. I see him as my source. I trust him on one day at a time and I share what he supplies. Whatever God gives you, God wants you to share it. Notice that it says us. Will you circle that word? It doesn't say give me. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I, I need, I want, I, I gotta have. Give me, give me, give me, give me. No, it says us. Why? Because God wants us to share it. We share because God wants us to learn to be like him. God has shared everything. It all comes from him. He says, I'm gonna share it with you. He, 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 he's the supplier and he, he has shared it and he wants us to share so that we can learn to be loving. How do you spell love? G-I-V-E. You may not realize this, but in a few days, Valentine's Day will be upon us, February 14th. But did you realize that that is a Christian holiday? In my day and age, before our culture became so secular, it used to be called Saint Valentine's Day. And the story behind it is that there was a priest, Saint Valentine, who defied Rome. Rome in 269 AD outlawed Christian love in marriage. They were a, uh, a, a culture of polygamy. We don't believe in this mono stuff, okay? One man, one woman, we're not into that. And so they outlawed Christian love in marriage. Well, St. Saint, Saint Valentine says, I'm gonna do it anyway. And he secretly married people into Christian wedlock. And then they found out and he was history. Later, the church came in and honored him with this holiday. Now, you can go to Saudi Arabia, and I'll tell you this, you will not find any red hearts that have written on it, I love you. If they find one, they will confiscate it. Why? Because it is a Christian holiday. St. Valentine says, you know what? All love comes from God. The reason that we can love one another and enter into marriage, Christian marriage, is because God has given his love to us. And you spell love, G-I-V-E. Now, in a few days, some of you may be getting cards, Valentine's Day cards. I'll call it St. Valentine's Day cards. I'll leave off the saint because maybe in that card, it'll say, I need you, I want you, I've got to have you. Guess what? That is not a love card. That is a lust card, okay? Lust is an intense desire to have one's own way. When you hear songs on the radio, they say, this is a love song, and it goes, I need you. Dum. 
I've got to have you. I've got to have you now. Folks, that's not a love song. That's a lust song. Love is I give. And God wants you to be like him by sharing your time, your talents, and yes, even your treasures. Now, what I'm about to give you, I guarantee you this will get you through tough times. So I want you to write these down. It'll get you through times, tough times with your faith, with your families, or with your finances. And the first one is this, that what God gives me, he wants to give through me. You see, God is looking for people to bless. And he comes along and he says, are you going to be a cup or are you gonna be a straw? Are you gonna be a straw where I can channel things through you or are you gonna keep them to yourself? Are you going to be, are you gonna have the attitude, gimme, 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 take, 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 or are you going to be a channel? Now listen for the promises that are in 2 Corinthians 9. God who supplies seed for the sower and bread to eat will also supply you with all the seed you need and will make it grow and produce a rich harvest from your generosity. He will always make you rich enough to be generous at all times. Will you circle all times? I don't care whether you have a, a, a need with time, talent, or treasures at all times so that Many will thank God for your gifts. This service you perform will not only meet the needs of God's people, but also produce an outpouring of gratitude to God. God says this, if you will learn to to share, he says, I'll do three things. Number one, I'll grow you spiritually. Number two, I will meet other needs through you. And number three, it'll all come back to him uh, through gratitude to God which leads to the second truth that is key to hold on to. And that is when I meet others' needs, God takes care of mine. Let me show you this amazing verse. Uh, Isaiah 58, it happens to come out of the, the chapter on fasting. Share your bread with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless poor. I can do that, check. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear. I can do that, check. And do not refuse to help your own relatives. Hold it there, George. I'm I'm drawing the line on that one, okay? You mean I gotta give to Uncle Joe here? Yes, you gotta give to Uncle Joe, okay? But why? Look at the benefits. Then my favor will shine on you like the morning sun, and your wounds will be quickly healed, and I will always be with you to save you. My presence will protect you on every side. And here's the kicker, I love this. And when you pray, I will answer you. God says, I will do five things if you will just learn to love like I love. One, the morning sun will shine upon you. You will have God's favor. Number two, your wounds will be healed regardless of what kind of wound it is, financial, spiritual, physical, whatever. It'll be healed, it'll be healed quickly. And then three, he says, I'll be with you to save you. That's bonus. Then he says, my presence will be there to protect you. Wow, that's great. But then the last one, when you pray, and some of you have your prayer rings. I've been meeting some of you throughout the community. Pastor George, I just got your text. Go God. God says, when you pray, I'll answer you. The third principle 
is this. Whatever I give to God, he multiplies. And Jesus modeled it. He had 5,000 people with him. Hey, disciples, I want to feed these people. We don't have anything. There's this little kid over here. He's got five loaves and two fish. What's that going to do? Hey, give it to me. He gave it to the Father. And as a result, through his disciples, which were resistant, Jesus fed 5,000 people. And after it was all over, not only were those 5,000 fed, but there were 12 baskets of bread left over for them. Is it possible to give and get more? Absolutely. Let me share with you this verse. I like this verse because it's a mind teaser. It's Ecclesiastes 11.7. This is what Solomon said. Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days you will get it back. What does that mean? What is that phrase, cast your bread upon the waters? It's nothing more than an expression. That's all it is. It's kind of like if I was joking with you, you might say, well, Pastor George, you're pulling my leg. No, I wasn't pulling your leg. I was just sharing a joke, okay? It's an expression. And this expression that Solomon is saying here is that whatever you give to God, he will multiply it. Proverbs 11, 20, 24 says, it is possible to give freely and become more wealthy, but those who are stingy will lose everything. Folks, you and I cannot outgive God. God is in debt to nobody. You see, I have a vision for our church. That our church will be a model church in the community. That we will meet needs, yes, within the walls of our church, and we have a lot of them that would take us a long time to meet, okay? I've got the cards. There's a lot of needs, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational needs. But God also wants us to be a church like the first century church that lived its life outside the walls to where the city noticed. And as a result, people came to know Jesus. In Acts 2, it says this, daily they continued to meet together. We can do that through text messaging and worship together in the temple courts. That's what we're doing now. And they also fellowship together in their homes with communion and eating together. We do that through our small groups, sharing whatever they had with joyful and generous hearts. We are that kind of a church. And then here are the benefits. They praise God together. And as a result, the whole city liked them. Will you put up the picture? In this past fall, winter, we raised over $6,000 at our concert, King of the Nations, that we gave to um, the city of Plano to meet homelessness. And when we first contacted them months ago, we said, we want to do this. And they said, hey, that'd be great. Maybe we can get some vouchers and get homeless people off the streets, especially when it's cold. He says, let's make it happen. And so we went to work. We said, how are we going to do this? We did the concert, raised over almost close to $6,000. And then just prior, right after we did that, we got a call from the Plano Police Department. It says, Pastor George, we don't need that anymore. What we need, we need sleeping bags. And so we delivered the sleeping bags just a couple of weeks ago before we had that cold spell to the police department. And I just got a letter back from them. And in big letters, this is to you. Thank you, LifePoint Church, 
for caring for the homeless in our community. So go God for you guys. That is the kind of church that I want our church to be. Yes, we have needs in the church and we are out trying to meet those needs, okay? But there's also people outside the walls that we've got to give attention to. Because the key part here that I read is that as a result of the church being the church, inside the walls and outside the walls, people were getting saved. And nothing is going to happen in your life until you get your name on the dotted line of the book of life. That is what I want. We are about the good news and we are about the common good. And so, can I challenge us to become a part of a movement where we depend on God to meet all of our needs across the board, that we might be the church both within the walls and outside the walls and know and understand that as we are that, God's army will continue to march on year after year, century after century to where the gates of hell will quake because they see a church family that says, we're gonna be dependent on God and we're gonna express that love in the most basic way as we talk to him every day. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, God, for life. I thank you that you have breathed fresh air into me. And that what I have in the way of my body, in the way of my goods, in the way of my family, in the way of this church, God, it's come from you. And I thank you, God, that you have not only given me life, but God, you have given me eternal life. I thank you that today my name is written in the book of life. I don't wonder, I don't guess where I'm going. When my day is done, I know where I'm going. And God, you are a good father. And there are so many needs in our church family. God, I read them and my heart breaks over some. But you're a good father and you're in control. Everything is capable with you. What you brought into being, you have supplied for. May we be those who trust you, God. So God, be in our week. As we get those text messages, God, help us to realize that we need to be dependent on you through faith. God, just remind us of these things. And as you answer, God, may we not be like the nine lepers that never returned, that were just so excited for the blessings of healing. May we be like the one that comes back, that says, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did in answering this prayer. God, help us to be the church in and outside the walls for your glory and for other people's good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.